Thank you and good morning. Turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. It's good to be with you this morning and it's good to be singing together. Can you imagine in glory singing that song with all the hosts and the 24 elders it talks about in the book of Revelation and just being uninhibited, being able to praise God fully. I, I just so looking forward to that. Some people think, well, it's gonna get, isn't it going to get kind of boring singing like that? It's, I, don't, I don't understand it. God says it's, uh, he tries to explain it in our terms, but I think we'll be singing songs, you know, every time we sing it, it's going to be like the first time we sang it and discovering God anew over and over again. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If there ever was a great truth, a liberating truth, it's that we have freedom in Christ. That doesn't mean we're lawless, as though we can do whatever we want, but Jeremiah 31, verse 33 tells us, that we're not under the law, but the law is in us. It says, we, uh, this is the covenant which I, God says, I will make with the house of Israel, and we take it by extension with us as well, declares the Lord. After those days, I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We're not under the law, but God has made his word known to us in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would help us this morning to get a handle on these great truths so that we might keep in step with what you're doing in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember watching old westerns? Uh, they're chasing somebody down and he gets a head start on his horse, and the posse is following after them. And after a while, they lose track of him, but they bring in a, a, a tracker, somebody who is, knows the wilderness, knows the, uh, the countryside, but can read tracks. And he gets off his horse, and he looks down. Everybody else just sees just uh, the dirt and the rubble and indistinct horse prints and stuff like that. But he gets down, he looks at it really close, and he looks and he, he says, they're going this way. And he knows how to follow the tracks, the, horse pr uh, the hoof prints uh, of the horse that they're, they're, they're trying to find. Um, and that's a kind of an analogy for us, is learning how to follow in the footsteps, the hoof prints of the Holy Spirit, so to speak. Um, the scripture says, if you are led by the Spirit, it assumes the truth that as believers we are led by the Spirit, and that is the desire of our hearts. But the implication is, is that it's one thing to be led. That's a passive thing. It's another thing to want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that's the kicker of all this. The question is, is, are we willing to be led? Because the scripture says the Holy Spirit wants to lead us. We don't want to be like this uh, donkey who's always resisting what the Spirit is doing in our lives. And if, there, if you don't remember anything else of what I have to say, don't be a donkey. Okay, and sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like that. I'm kicking and screaming as though 
I'm a donkey who just doesn't understand that I'm being led, and that's better to be led by the one that's leading me than to go my own way. Notice verse 24. It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. You see, genuine believers are those who belong to Christ, who have crucified the flesh. Genuine believers are those whose passions and desires are no longer to be going our own way, but our desires are to be living for God. God has placed that in our hearts. Uh, and it's a continual process. It's a continual process for us to nurture and to fan into flames the desire that he's placed there. Now, the scripture is very clear, and I'm so glad God has put in Romans chapter 6, because sometimes I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do, and that goes back and forth. And, you know, we can get so bogged down in, as Christians, we, okay, if, if, if what the preacher says is true and what the Bible says is true, that I've crucified the passions of the flesh, then, then how come I'm still desiring those things? Well, it's a constant struggle, but the fact that we're struggling with it tells us that there is the desire there. Otherwise, we wouldn't be struggling. We'd be going out and doing the things that come naturally without any sense of uh, real conscience to it. But Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says this, Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And then verse 11 is the kicker, and I love this verse. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. If it was a piece of cake, we wouldn't even have to think about it. But the Apostle Paul says, consider it, think about it. Uh, the old King James says, reckon it to be true that you're dead to sin. In other words, uh, you got the struggle, but you got to continually remind yourself and I need to continuously remind myself that I'm dead to those things. I, I don't have to do it. And it's not because the law says thou shalt not. It's because God has changed my heart. God has changed my passions and my desires. And we need to continuously remind ourselves. So in verse 25, I, I like this verse. It doesn't come across quite... Uh, as concise as it could be in, in some English translations. In the New American Standard, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. <clears throat> the word, uh, the phrase, walk by the Spirit, is, is interesting according to the Greek concordance. Um, it means to be in line with, or we can put it this way, to keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with, with the Spirit. If our desire is to live by the Spirit's leading, then we need to keep in step with the Spirit's leading. Don't be a donkey. Find out where the Lord is leading and follow him. <clears throat> years ago, I was running, renovating my basement. By years ago, I mean 35 years ago. A long time. Something stick in your mind. <clears throat> Uh, I was renovating my basement. I, I should say some brothers were renovating my basement, 
And uh, I told him, that's great if you want to do it. I appreciate it, but you got to allow me to help you. One guy after a while told me, Chuck, we could do this faster if you weren't here. Uh, <coughs> uh, but I was working with young people at the time, and uh, my basement was unfinished, and they felt it would be helpful to have a finished basement, rec room, and, and, and things. So they did it, and I learned a lot. One particular fellow's name was Jack, was an electrician. Now Jack had a reputation of being the best in town. It was up north of Toronto, and uh, it was said that the building inspector, if he heard Jack did the electrical work, he would just automatically sign it off because he knew it would be better than the inspector himself could have done, and he knew it would be fully up to code. And I watched Jack, and he laid out his electrical lines, and he did everything, and I won't go into the details, but then he would say, okay, now you try it. And he was very patient. I would do it, and he says, no, no that's not quite right, you know. And, and I remember he says, you always run your lines in 90-degree angles. And to me, well, if, you know, you got the outlet here and you wanted to put a switch up there, just, well, run it at an angle. It's less wire. He, said, he says, yeah, but if you put it at right angles and you have to go into it later, you always know you've eliminated a lot of possibilities. You know it's either this way or it's that way, you know. Never thought of that. And, and he taught me a lot of things like that. Because Jack was an expert. Just yesterday, I was working on my, we have a whole house fan in our house that just sucks all the air out and gets fresh air, you know, in, into your house. And um, it wasn't working. Mary had told me about this for a few weeks, and finally I got to it yesterday, and I'll fix it. And I found myself thinking about what Jack would do. Okay, now the line's gonna be at these angles, I'm thinking, and, and, and I, I test things, and I'm, I'm, I'm following in the steps of Jack and how he would do it. And following in the steps of the Spirit of God is just like that, keeping in step with what he's doing in our lives. Now, Part of the difficulty of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is there's sometimes lots of different steps out there, lots of different trails. And it's easy to get following the wrong things, thinking we're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul uh, wants to help us here. And so he, first of all, he says, you've got to be able to separate out the bad paths. And in verse 19, he begins a list. And... Uh, you know, we can obviously see at least the first few of these that, yeah, of course, we need to avoid these. And these are tracks that are easy to see and, and to avoid. He says in verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Of, of course, these are bad tracks. Um, in, in verse 21, he says, um, he says, I of these things I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you. In other words, I've said this before, I'm saying it again, Timothy, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So step one is to uh, avoid things that will prevent the inheritance of the kingdom of God. Now, we've got a problem here, don't we? For those of you that like to study the Word of God and are committed, it's easy to get off track with a verse like this, verse 21. Um, some people interpret this as, well, you could lose your salvation. 
if you're not keeping in step with the Holy Spirit and you start to follow sexual sins, and these first three very much have to deal with the sexual area, and uh, today, if there's ever a warning that's needed, it's, it's, it's today, but every generation has needed this, including Timothy's uh, generation. And, and you come to this, and it says, uh, those, who are <clears throat> those who practice these things will not gain eternal life. And I remember as a young believer sitting in on a, on a, on a, a service once, uh, and, and the preacher said as much. He, he, he was trying to warn people. He really cared for the young people he was preaching to, but he says, you know, if you continue doing those things, your salvation is going to be in jeopardy. And I remember thinking, even as a young believer, whoa, you know, that's pretty serious stuff. And a verse like this seems to support that idea that, and, and Paul is clearly talking to believers here, uh, and he says, you know, these things are the things that prevent a person from gaining eternal life or, or the kingdom, inheriting the kingdom of God. Well, I, I think when a person's interpreting that way, they're on, on, on a track that's leading astray. Because the same author, the Apostle Paul, writing inspired by the Holy Spirit, says in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, I am convinced, this is the Apostle Paul, who also wrote Galatians, our text. He says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, which, by the way, would include ourselves, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He further says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about those people who are not building on the foundation of Christ. That means they're Christians. They're not building on the foundation. It says, if any man's work built on the foundation of Christ, that is wood, hay, and stubble, is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear in a number of places that we are secure in our faith. We will not lose our salvation no matter what happens. And when we look back at our verse uh, in, in uh, the book in Galatians chapter 3, we notice that word practice in the New American Standard. And it has the, the sense of one who is, is currently practicing it as a way of life. They're still living in their sins, carelessly speeding on to destruction. And he's saying to us essentially that <clears throat> why would you want to live like that when people who practice those things are going to be denied the inheritance? So why as a believer would you want to do those sorts of things? Well, some su suggest, well, well, hold it a minute. And this is the second way people get off track is that if, if your salvation is secure, if once Saved, always saved. That's a kind of a, a dismissive way to refer to that teaching of eternal security. Then what's the motive for avoiding sin? If you're going to go to heaven anyway, go, go out and sin, eat, drink, and be married, commit the sexual sins, you're still going to get into heaven and live for eternity, you know, with God's grace. <laughs> Why not? Um, well, I come back to the question then, why would you want to do that? You're saying that the only motive in life 
is to secure your ticket to heaven so that you got it as an insurance policy in your back pocket? Um, that means that there's nothing been changed in your heart. You don't have the desires of the Spirit in your heart. That means that Jeremiah uh, 31 hasn't really happened yet because the law is not in your heart. You're just thinking in terms of legalities that I've got, I've got heaven, so everything else is a, you know, a free-for-all. That doesn't reflect a heart that's been changed. That doesn't reflect someone in whom the heart, the, the spirit has uh, changed. If you have no desire to live for the Lord apart from gaining salvation, then maybe the law is not written in your heart. Maybe you are not truly his. You're just going through the motions. If that is the case, then this passage is a sober warning. Remember, he's writing to Christians, he's writing to churches, and, but every church, every group of believers has those that are the terrors, those that are not the true believers. I don't know how many times I've heard people give testimonies. I grew up and thought I was a believer until God began to work in my life, and I realized I never really truly was, was saved. I never truly came to understand that I needed to confess my sin personally to God, not just say the words and go forward and have everybody pat me on the back. I, we had another one at camp that trusted the Lord, and when, when nothing really happened, we're talking about the reality of the Holy Spirit here that has worked and changed people's lives. So I come back to the question, if you have the idea that I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I got my insurance policy, therefore everything else is okay, then I, I have no reason to believe if that's what you think, I have no reason to believe that there's been a real change in your life. Now I'm not saying you lose your salvation because if you are truly saved, you are secure. But if you're living a, a life like that and you're practicing these things, then the question raises, rises up that um, you have no reason to hold on to an assurance that you're saved. If our desire is to walk with the Spirit, if we have crucified the flesh at the cross, then we don't want to follow in the footsteps of Satan. We struggle because we don't want that, the struggle itself is testimony that we do want what God wants, even though the flesh is constantly pulling us in another direction. The heart open to the Lord will take these things seriously. Paul goes on and he identifies some others, not just the sexual sins. He says in verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, Talk about a list, whoa. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this, of which we forewarn you. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of us need to be reminded of these things. Uh, for some of us, it may be putting an idol into our lives by placing something or someone in place of God. 
I can't be happy unless I have a better marriage. I can't live without my prized possessions. My joy and peace in life is dependent upon my circumstances. That's, That's idolatry. You're saying these things are the most important thing and that just having God and Jesus Christ isn't enough. I gotta have other things that I can't live without and that's what an idol is. For other people, it's uh, putting away, uh, I I look at says sorcery here, uh, putting away the horoscope, watching horror movies, um, getting our adrenaline rushing and continuously going back for more by these movies of the occult. Uh, For others, it's drinking too much alcohol or having uncontrolled anger. Uh, Maybe you struggle with an argumentative spirit, a jealousy, you're causing strife, and you claim, well, it's just because I have righteous indignation, and that seems to characterize you. Uh, Maybe it's holding grudges and unforgiving spirit. Maybe it's somebody you know that has left here and gone to another church, and you just can't forgive them because they've abandoned you. There's all kinds of things here that he puts as things, they're tracks that lead in a way different than the way the Holy Spirit is leading. Now, it's, I find it's fascinating. He gives this, but oftentimes in theological discussions, and you have two alternative points, you, you put one, and then you come back with, a, here's the real point that we're moving towards. And it it tells me in the way this is laid out, Paul deals with all the negatives. He says, but listen, you're you're not to be characterized by what you don't do. You're to be characterized by what you do do, okay? And sometimes as Christians, we only get that first part. We get all these things that I shouldn't be doing. And now, yeah, we shouldn't be doing them, but then we stop there. Uh, The Pharisees, uh, who are famous, uh, and... You know, they, they thought Israel, the problem with Israel, uh, and, and then in some regards, they had part of this right. They, you know, after you think about it, Israel came back from the Babylonian captivity, and uh, they're restored to the land. Okay, now the promises to Abraham are going to be fulfilled. We will rise to prominence, and through us, the whole world will be blessed. And they moved back into the land, and they weren't experiencing that. What's wrong? We're in the land. We've been restored. Uh, we repented, but we're not experiencing God's blessing. They continued under the domination of other countries. And even during the time of Jesus, they were under the domination of the Roman uh, uh, authorities. And, and so what's wrong? We've done something wrong. We've obviously, we're, we're missing God's blessing. We're coming up short of the righteousness that God demands. Otherwise, we'd be experiencing his blessing. So let's get out the law. Let's study it. Harder, where are we missing it? Okay, we're miss, maybe missing this. Let's expand this a little bit because maybe God sees we're keeping it on the surface, but he, you know, we got we to gotta embellish it so that God will look at us and says, oh, finally, you're getting it right. Now I'll bless you. That was their whole approach is by by avoiding all the things that they shouldn't be doing. And Paul says, no, there's a second part of the story, and and we don't want to just stay in this first part of removing all the bad stuff. And that's why so many people end up leaving the church, because it's so much emphasis on stop doing all that stuff. But you can stop all those things and still not have life. And so Paul says, There's keeping in step with the Spirit. He says in verse 22, here's what the Spirit is trying to work in our lives. People people struggle with 
You know, how do I know God's will for my life? Uh, <clears throat> you know, the, um, the, the, the tracker, the, the, the fella in the, in the Western stories, he gets down and some of the hoof prints, I, I would imagine, are pretty obvious, you know? Some of them are a little dusted over, a little scuffed up. They're a little harder to find. But at least you start with the ones that are clear and the ones that are obvious. If we want to know God's will for our life, you know, what job I should have or where I should live or who I should marry, if you're single, that sort of thing, God doesn't specifically tell us those things. Those are a little bit hazy, but there are some things that are clear about God's will. And it makes sense to me, does it not to you, that if we go about lining up with God's will and the things that are clear, then the things that are less clear will become obvious in time. Just like the tracker who learns, when he first starts out, learns the trade, he learns with the obvious things and he slowly starts building up his skill and expertise and he comes to the point where he can see the things that aren't so obvious. And it's the same way in the Christian life. Paul says, let me give you the obvious ones, the clear ones. If you want to know God's will for your life, if you want to keep in step with the Spirit of God and what he's trying to accomplish, here it is. Okay? Here it is. He says the fruit of the Spirit, he puts it in that picturesque terminology, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Therefore, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Now, it's interesting. Some people look at this list of uh, the fruit of the Spirit, <clears throat> and they say the fruit in the original language is singular, the fruit of the Spirit. But then you look at this list of uh, characteristics, and uh, one, one person says, well, I, I believe it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit is singular, and it's, it's talking about love. And all the rest of them are just kind of spinoffs of love. Well, it doesn't hurt to hold that viewpoint, but I don't think the original language really supports that as such. Although earlier in Galatians chapter 5, it says that, that the whole law can be summed up in this, to love your neighbor as yourself, which even that we have to be careful of because Jesus said the greatest of the commandments is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. So, um, so we've got to be careful about how we dice this up. It says here the fruit of the Spirit. I think it's like talking about the rainbow. It's a singular thing, the rainbow, but it's made up of many colors, plural. And so the fruit of the Spirit, I believe he's talking about all these things. This is what a fruitful Christian life is like. And then later he says, uh, what he says, if you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. It means... Okay, this is what the Spirit is trying to work in your life. Therefore, that's what you should try to be doing in your life. You see, that, this is what Jack did when he was doing the electrical work for me 35 years ago. And this is yesterday what I was trying to do, similar things, different context, different issues, but it was still electrical work. So the Holy Spirit is doing this in our lives that we should be keeping in step with him. He takes a step, we take a step. We understand where he's going, so we want to go in the same direction. It's his goal to produce these things. And if you know, want to know what God's will in your life is, it doesn't get any clearer than this. 
we need to keep in step with the footprints of the Spirit that are clearly laid out. Um, it begins with love. John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, as you and that you also love one another. Um, very clear. Yet it's very difficult to love people. Uh, it's great when they live the way you want them to live. It's great when they treat you well. Or it's easy to love people when they allow themselves to be loved or they can do nothing else because you are the more mature one and you're helping the less spiritual one or the, 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 the needy person and you and your benevolence will help them. I mean, those are relatively easy things to do. Might cost a little. But when our lives are in the midst of turmoil and difficulty, it's a little more difficult to love others. We think, well, when I get through my problem, then I'll be able to love other people. Or when, when I get through this issue, and I know people are loving me, and someday I'll be able to love them back. You know where Jesus was when he spoke this word, um, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another? Do you, do you know where he was when he said that? It was the night before he died. And he knows what's coming. He knows he's going to be tortured. He knows he's going to be betrayed by his closest friends. He knows he's going to be denied. He knows he's going to be abandoned. He knows that his disciples, even the, the best of them, you could say, you know, kept their distance, like John. <laughs> um, and he says, not even 12 hours before all this happens, he says, Guys, I'm going to read you a commandment, love one another, just as I have loved you. It's so easy to think that we'll love when my, my life circumstances change, then I will love people. He was in the upper room, and the scene there, as he's talking to his disciples, they must have had a hard time processing that because he was also talking about leaving them. It was a dark time. He was preparing them for coming, for what was coming. They were about to see all their hopes and dreams come crushing down on them. They were gonna go through a huge time of grief at the death of the one they gave up everything to follow. And he's saying, in the midst of everything that's coming and you guys don't even have a clue yet, Remember, love one another just as I've loved you. They were about to see how much Jesus loved. They wouldn't understand it, but we do understand from other scriptures says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But Jesus also talked about something else in the upper room, and it's, a, it's actually the second on our list of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is joy. John chapter 15, verse 11 he says, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. <laughs> Can you imagine them thinking back after Christ had been crucified and he's buried in, in, in the tomb? And if they even thought about these things, it, it would have been incomprehensible to them. 
But Jesus said, no, no, I, I want you to know this. I want you to understand this. He says, I've said these things so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be made full. And the application is, is when we can't wait for something to happen and our circumstances to change in order for us, then we can be joyful in the Lord. Oh, Chuck, you don't understand what I'm going through. You've got it pretty nice compared to what I have. You know, most of us think that our troubles are unique and they're worse than other people have. And, you know, because there are struggles. You don't understand. We all feel that way. And, and I've come across, I, don't, I can't even think of one person that I've come across that hasn't had significant difficulties in their life of some sort. We're, we're all broken people. We all struggle. Even those that put on the front to everybody else that my life's all in order, you don't know. Jesus said, I've spoken these things so that you may have joy. Yes, right in the circumstances that you're in. This is what the Spirit is trying to work in your life. This is what Jesus modeled for us and he taught us. This is the fruit of a life that's living not by the law, but by the Spirit. And if we're being led by the Spirit, let's keep in step with what the Spirit is trying to do. <laughs> if that's not enough, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus also spoke about the third thing that was on the, the list of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul lays out for us in Galatians chapter 5. He said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Don't wait. You say, I'll, I'll have peace once my, my difficulties are. If I didn't have this in my life, then I could have the peace of God. And yeah, I, I could say the words, but you know, it's still, it's, there's not a reality here. Um, but it's... It's when we go through difficult times, we discover that those are the very things that form the seedbed for the fruit to not only take root, but to grow. When we suffer, we discover that God really can give us peace. He really can. I think I told you the story about my brother in the Lord, Doug Barnett up in Canada. This guy was an outdoorsman. He had um, he'd take canoe trips up to where there were polar bears in the James Bay in Canada. They'd bring along a shot off, sawed-off shotgun because it was a very... I mean, this guy would you know, shoot rapids. It didn't matter. He lived a, a risky life, but uh, he ran every day, uh, very much in shape. And one day he had a heart attack, and I heard about it, and I called him up, and and it was afterwards, he was been in the hospital for about a week, and then, and then I finally had heard about it, and I called, hey, Doug, what's happening? You know, he says, Chuck, he says, first thing out of his mind, he says, you know how, you know how, you, you, you know, we always have heard that when you're in a difficulty, God will be there to help you. He says, Chuck, it's real, it's true. You know, he's like, it was like he was discovering it for the first time. Well, he knew it. He'd been a Christian for many, many years, but it was like, it was like going through this difficulty of having a heart attack it just like it fanned it into flame. It was like he was seeing afresh what God was able to do in the midst of his circumstances. He says, man, I have experienced the peace of God through this like I've never experienced before. And you could hear the joy just coming out of him. Uh, and and it was just, his life was just uh, uh, 
was a glorious experience for him. And you might say to yourself, it's impossible for that to happen. Um, it's impossible to truly and deeply be joyful when your life circumstances seem to have crushed in on you. And the reality is, it is impossible. You can't just take and cut out colored pieces of paper that look like apples and pears and go out and tape them onto the tree and say, hey, my tree's fruitful. You know, you can't, you can't do that. Um, but how can it be true then? How can people really experience that? I, I wish I could explain to you in detail how this works, but I don't quite know how it works. All I can do is tell you what the scripture says and 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 God says it works. If you keep in step with the spirit, the spirit will work these things in your life and in my life. I uh, I I like to be as clear as possible number number 1 if you put it into four steps. Number one is look to the example of Christ. I, we only talked about three, you know, love, joy, peace. There's more descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit. I, you can look those up on your own or study them. Um, when your thoughts are spinning out of control and your anxiety is getting the better of you and you just can't find the peace of God that passes all understanding, and it's hard to... See, first of all, look at Jesus, who was in the midst of his difficulty. He says, in me, he says, you will have peace. Get with Jesus. Be like Peter, who in the midst of the storm, when everybody's hugging on to the sides of the boat, he said, Jesus, if that's you out there, command me to be out there with you. I want to be with you in the middle of the storm. If I'm going to be in the storm, I don't want to be in the boat. I want to be with you. So look to Christ, beginning there. Second, ask the Father to produce these spiritual fruit in your life. Notice how it's, it's what God does. We, we can't, by our own efforts, create the fruit. That's something that the Spirit of God does. So it makes sense that we need to be in communication with the Father and ask him. Step three, trust that the Holy Spirit is going to work these things in your life. Trust, believe. God says it and I'm gonna believe it and, and put aside those crutches that we so often use to justify our not walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. And fourthly, act like it's true. Act like it's true. Consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God. Believe that in the midst of your difficulty that God will not only show you his love but also help you to be able to love somebody else in the midst of your difficulty. Take the step. Get out of yourself and love somebody. Reach out to somebody because if you're hurting, there's somebody else that's hurting as well. 
If you're struggling, there's somebody else that's struggling as well. Keep in step with the Spirit who wants to work into you the fruit of love, even in the midst of your difficulty, and Jesus showed it's possible, and if we're living in Jesus and we are crucified with him, and we're praying to the Father to work this in our life, and we're trusting that the Holy Spirit will work in our life, then believe it and do something about it. Get out of yourself. Don't be a donkey and act in love towards somebody else. Believe that God's giving you a peace and just rest. You might say, well, it doesn't feel very restful. Well, keep doing it. <clears throat> keep practicing it. In an act of faith, I am going to just be at rest. The anxious thoughts, and it might be a continuous basis. I remember one brother, <clears throat> they were having tremendous difficulty with their family. No one around here, so you don't need to try to guess who it is, but um, there it was... I don't know how, how you can handle this apart from Christ. And they, they're, they're, it was so difficult that he and his wife were just becoming consumed. It had to do with one of their children and married somebody. It was an abusive relationship. It was threatening the family and the police were involved. And, and it was just, there were constant fear, constant. And this was a godly couple. And... And he finally, I remember him telling me, he said, Chuck, what we finally had to do is we said, okay, in the morning we'll talk about this situation for a half hour, and then we'll say, okay, that's it. We're not going to think about this until lunch, and we'll talk about it again at lunch for a half hour. They were making a choice. They were going to say, okay, we'll talk about it, we'll, th we'll fret about it, we'll think about it, and then we'll stop, and we're going to just, okay, it'll be there when we come back at lunchtime. And it, he said it gave us such a tremendous sense of peace. At lunchtime, they'd get it out and they'd talk about it some more and they'd say, okay, we're not going to talk about it again until dinner. They were taking stuff. Now, you might do things differently, but they were acting in faith. They were believing and trusting that God would give them peace so they're going to just put their thoughts and their minds over here and their feelings and they're going to just focus instead on, on the Lord. Now, did their problems go away? No, they didn't. But they began to experience the peace of God. And the same with joy. I, we had a sister in, in, in the Lord that just passed into his presence at Crossroads. Her name was Erlene uh, Griffin. Uh, she was just a waif of a, of a woman. She was so thin and, and weak and frail, and she just kept holding on. I, I, we often thought, you know, how can anybody hold on as long as she has with her many, many ailments? And there'd be times we'd visit her in the hospital, and uh, how you doing? And, and you know, she, we knew the difficulties that she was having, and 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 she would sometimes talk about them if you specifically asked her, and 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 then say, "Well, how's the Lord?" or something like that, and you could see her eyes would brighten up. There was a joy in the Lord in the midst of her suffering. Did her circumstances change? No. But God was at work in her life with the fruit of the Spirit. And it wasn't just words plastered out there in Christian platitudes. There was a reality. You could see it in her eyes. So God wants us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, what God's trying to do in our lives. 
He gives us the negatives, but then he gives us the positives. This is what God is trying to, he doesn't want this in our lives, this is what he wants in our lives. And the, the Christian whose heart has been changed by the Spirit of God desires the things of the Spirit of God. And if we desire the things of the Spirit of God, we want to be led by the Spirit of God, we want to live by the Spirit of God, and therefore our responsibility then is to keep in step as we follow the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word that does speak to us clearly. And we do know, want to know your will for us in, in many, many different areas. But Lord, you made it very clear uh, what you're trying to do in us. Our circumstances may never change, but the Spirit is always at work producing in us the fruit that you desire. And we see that fruit in the Lord Jesus Christ in his most difficult circumstances facing the cross. And Lord, therefore, we know and believe you can do that in our lives. Help us, Father. This can only come about supernaturally, but we don't want to be like donkeys resisting it. We want to keep in step, Lord. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.